turn with me this morning to Joel chapter 2. If you've not done so already, please take out your uh, communication card, the small card, fill out the front of that, and uh, we'll be turning our attention to the back of it in just a few moments. But a couple of things to keep in mind with regard to this card is uh, on the back, many of you take full advantage each week of the uh, place where you're able to put some prayer requests. Please continue doing that. It helps me to know how better to uh, be praying for you throughout the week so that I can be praying particularly for those needs that you've expressed there. Uh, my eyes are the only ones that see these, or I say that, my kids' eyes every once in a while see them, but they can't read yet. Uh, Imogene can't read handwriting, at least. Um, I'm the only one that reads these, so uh, feel free to, to make use of that. And also, um, uh, down at the bottom, uh, it, there's, there's a place for you to mark whether or not you're interested in things, such as uh, find out a little bit more about membership, joining a weekly small group. Several of you said last week that you wanted to join a small group. And that's great because we're um, we'll be kicking those off uh, again here in the next few weeks. Uh, opportunity to serve the community, meet with me about whatever. Um, take advantage of those uh, communication cards, uh, please do. And then, of course, as always, at the close of the service, I'm going to ask you to drop it off in the offering plate as you um, as we end our service. Joel chapter two, beginning of verse twelve. We read, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. In the uh, couple of years that Lindsay and I lived in Ackerman, Mississippi, pastoring a little rural uh, independent Methodist church, uh, we uh, we tried our hand in a little bit of... um, full-out gardening, but uh, just a little bit of gardening here and there. We we kept the flower beds up and did, uh, did a good bit of work in those, but uh, we had some potted plants, and we'd try to grow some tomatoes and peppers, and I remember there was this one summer that um, we had a few, a few, you know, nice little potted, potted uh, vegetable plants out along the, uh, the driveway, or the, uh, the sidewalk, and we had some peppers, and we had some tomatoes, and I've never been a successful gardener at all, which is why I've never put much into it. But this, this particular growing season, I had some really nice-looking peppers coming along. I had some good-looking tomatoes coming along. I don't eat raw tomatoes or anything, but, but Imogene and Lindsay absolutely love them. And I like seeing a little bit of success, you know, growing a little plant. Hey, we got some fruit for our laborers. That's, that's always exciting. 
But I do like peppers. And we had some little peppers. And I'm telling you, they, they were springing up and they were looking gorgeous. They, they were very pretty. They, they were nice looking, perfect shaped. And I thought, man, this is going to be really exciting. And when we had a, you know, a handful of peppers and a handful of tomatoes budding, suddenly we came home one day. I think it was on a Wednesday night. We, we came home and we walked, we walked up the sidewalk. And I said, what was all those plants? Hmm. And we walked over. And I'm telling you, every last leaf from those plants was completely and utterly gone. Every single leaf. And then the ends of, of, of the branches were being all, were, were looking like they'd been chewed up a little bit. And so, and we're talking within, with, it wasn't like that the day prior. It was almost immediately, suddenly these plants are just falling to pieces. And we're thinking, what in the world is happening? So we get to kind of looking around, and sure enough, we find these little bright green, almost perfectly matching the stems, little worms, little caterpillars. And so um, we caught up a lady in our church, Miss Becky, and she, she always kept a really nice garden. She had us over to eat a bunch. And, uh, but we asked her, what are these little green things? She said, oh, Pastor Adam. Oh, you got those green caterpillars? Yes, ma'am, what are they? I don't know what they are, but they'll destroy absolutely anything you got, and they'll do it in hours. What are you talking about? She said, oh, if you get those green caterpillars... They'll tear everything up. They'll, they just come in, eat anything and everything they can get their hands on, get their mouths around, and then boom, that's it. Your garden's gone. Sure enough, the peppers didn't make it, the tomatoes didn't make it. The plants were, you know, cast off and, and thrown out into the woods to, to become, uh, become mulch. Not a very successful uh, attempt at, at gardening. But, but I remember that... Uh, it j- just within hours, these few little green caterpillars came along and chewed absolutely everything up. And it was all gone. Joel's prophecy begins um, as, as Joel is speaking about the coming judgment of God against, against his people, his covenant people. And what he describes in uh, chapter 1, and he repeats it then in chapter 2, is coming locusts. Essentially, Joel is saying, trouble's a-brewing. It's coming. Problems are, are, are about to be upon you. And he describes these locusts in verse 4 of chapter 1, and then again repeated in, um, in verse 5 of chapter 2, only talking about God's restoration. He says, the chewing locusts are coming, and what they don't chew up, the swarming locusts will destroy. And what the swarming locusts leave behind, the crawling locusts are going to tear up. And what the crawling locusts leave behind, the consuming locusts are going to tear up. You can imagine what he's talking about. He's talking about absolute, abject devastation. One thing right after another is going to absolutely destroy you. Everything's going to be gone. Joel's prophecy consists of the judgment of God upon his covenant people. And the cause of God's judgment against his people is their unfaithfulness to the covenant. They, these are, this is a nation that has sworn itself in covenant oath to God to be faithful to him, to represent him to the nations, 
to bear his name among them. In fact, that's the, the chiefest of, of the prophet's judgments against his, God's people, Israel, is you have profaned my name. You have slandered my name. My name is a byword among the nations. They think I'm just like their false gods. Fickle, not caring for anybody, not compassionate, vengeful. Joel's prophecy begins with judgment, begins with that that uh, graphic image of locusts, a plague of locusts, one right after another, coming in to destroy. He says, you'll have nothing left. The wine will be gone, the oil will be gone, all the, the crops of harvest, it'll, it'll all be gone. Your land will lie in devastation, it will lie in waste, you'll have nothing. And the purpose of God's judgment is to actually restore the covenant. God never judges simply arbitrarily. He does not judge in order just simply to punish. He judges in order to restore. His judgment against his people Israel was so that he could purge them, cleanse them, and restore them to a right relationship, to restore that covenantal faithfulness that they had destroyed, that they had failed. But Joel's prophecy does not end there. He does not just promise judgment. He does not just call out God's people and tell them of the impending judgment that is coming. He calls them. We have also in Joel's prophecy a call of God. And that call to God is to genuine and full and complete and true and whole repentance. Notice, um, if, if you have your Bibles open uh, there with me in Joel's prophecy, flip back to chapter 1. And I want to look at, um, at the verbal imperatives. Littered throughout chapters 1 and the first part of chapter 2 are numerous verbal imperatives. As the Lord calls for repentance from the people, great and small, He calls for the elders, He calls for the priests, He calls for everyone. Even the bridegroom and the uh, and the bride. Notice, uh, we're just going to walk down through some of those verses and look at some of these verbal imperatives. In verse two of chapter one, he says, "Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land." Moving on, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And he goes on, verse five: "Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine." Verse 8, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Verse 11, be ashamed, wail. Verse 13, gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie in all night in sackcloth. Verse 14, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and cry out to the Lord. In verse 1 of chapter 2, blow the trumpet in Zion. You have that, uh, that particular phrase being repeated 
in chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my, holy, in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. And then the text that we read, beginning of verse 12. Turn to me with all your heart, fasting, weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Blow the trumpet in Zion, verse 15. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. All of these verbs, all these imperatives are calls for repentance, calls for us to take seriously what God is saying to us. He says even the, the, the bride and the bridegroom, stop the wedding, stop what's going on because there's, so, there's something that needs to be done. And that which needs to be done in Joel's mind is to answer the call of God to authentic repentance. And that scene in those outer expressions of repentance, fasting, mourning, he speaks of lying all night in sackcloth. Well, if you've ever rubbed sackcloth, it's not very comfortable. Do those outward things that the scriptures would call works meet for repentance. Do those things that show what is going on in your heart. Because this call to repentance comes above all priorities. As we approach the season of Lent, we hear the call of God. And every year as we approach this season, God's call is the same. His call is to mourn and fast and weep. To prepare ourselves. To do those outer things that can help us to position our inner lives. What is Lent? And uh, it's a term that comes from Old English and German. And in Old English, it just simply means springtime. In, in its German uh, origins, its Germanic origins, it means the lengthening of days. It is when days become long in spring. Um, I believe in Spanish, the term that's used means the 40th. And the reason they use that is because Lent has historically, uh, for close to 1,800 years now, has been a period of 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. It excludes Sundays. And it's a, there's an important reason for that. We'll look at that in just a moment. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a period of 40 days of preparation where our days are lengthened and where we reflect upon what God has done for us in the cross of Christ and in the tomb that was empty on Easter Sunday morning. It's a time where the church prepares itself. Historically, uh, baptism would typically take place on Easter. And, um, and so there was a period of cleansing and a period of fasting, a, a period of preparation and reflection that led up to that time as 
new believers in Christ were being baptized into the body of the church, but also as those who had previously been baptized were renewing their baptismal oaths together. They spent these 40 days, that that time of preparation, reflecting upon what God had done, searching their hearts for any hidden sin and ridding themselves. And one of the things that has historically been done during a period like that has been fasting. Doing away with something that otherwise is perfectly harmless. But doing away with it to train the body, to teach the body, to teach the flesh that it does not control us. That we control it. Last week we, um, we were talking about fellowship and we were getting ready for a Super Bowl party. And uh, I, I mentioned that the church today doesn't know how to feast anymore. We don't know how to really celebrate like they used to. But another thing I mentioned was in the, period, in the, uh, the liturgical calendar of the church, you have periods of feasting and you have periods of fasting. And they're sandwiched right together like a nice club sandwich. There's layers of feasting and fasting in the life of the church. And Lent is a time of fasting. Last week we feasted Bill. The barbecue was good. It was, it was nice. And there was, there was plenty for all. But this coming Wednesday we're entering a time when traditionally the church has fasted. Has given up on something. Has quit something for this period of 40 days. If you're uh, thinking about giving something up for Lent. Just a, uh, a few things I would like to, to make known to you. Number one, it ought not to be something that you probably shouldn't be doing anyhow. You know? Like, it, it, yes, give up sin, but you should give up sin regardless. Don't wait till Wednesday to give up the sins in your life. But it ought to be something that is otherwise perfectly harmless. Whether it be, you know... Uh, whether it be carbonated beverages or whether it would be uh, lunches or whether it be fast food or whether it be TV. Something that, that is not inherently sinful in your life, it ought to be something like it that falls under that category that you sacrifice and give up. If, it's, um, if you're considering quitting sin for Lent, then just quit it now altogether. And uh, as the Word of God says, just stop it. Um, Another thing is, don't think of this as being something impossible because you've got Sundays as a break. We don't, we don't fast on Sundays. Sundays are the day of the resurrection. In fact, I was looking back at some church history uh, this week and one of the things I found was very interesting. You know, we have a liturgical calendar that, uh, that moves from year to year. In the earliest uh, of disciples, their liturgical calendar was a week at a time. Every Sunday was the day of the resurrection. Every Sunday was a day that they celebrated Christ's risenness. They fasted on Fridays uh, in remembrance of Good Friday. And they, they very quickly started fasting on Wednesdays. And it's not sure quite why, but some believe it is because uh, that was the day that, uh, that Judas Iscariot probably betrayed Jesus and got his, his silver for it. But... Uh, uh, the liturgical ca- uh, calendar in the early church was just a week at a time because every Sunday they were celebrating the resurrection. So during Lent, 
We don't, if you're giving up television, which I've done before for Lent, you can catch up on a few things on Sunday. You can figure out, all right, what's going on? I haven't seen the news all week long. I've got to just watch a little bit, figure out what in the world's going on around me. How, how bad is it really getting? Um, obviously, the television's not going to be the most faithful way of, of uh, figuring out how bad things are getting. But, uh, you know, if, if you say, I'm going to give up on meat for Lent. Okay, well, enjoy some roast on a Sunday. So you, you get every seven days, you get a little, a little cheap. And so this is not something that's impossible. It's not as, as, uh, as, as horrible as, as it might seem to you. Like, oh man, I can't, you know, 40 days, that's a month and a half. I can't do without, you know, uh, lunch meals. Or I can't do without soft drinks for a month and a half. Well, every seven days you get a little bit of a break. Time to celebrate. Time to remember that, yes, we are preparing ourselves for the cross. We are preparing ourselves for Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, but he is still yet risen, and we have reason to celebrate. So, just keep some of those thoughts in mind as you're, um, as you're, you hopefully even before today have been thinking about something that you can maybe give up for Lent. But Joel's prophecy goes on. It, it, it does not just proclaim the judgment of God. It does not just proclaim the, uh, the call of God. But it also offers the promise of God. And God's promise to His people, found in, uh, in the second half of chapter 2, but then also in, in chapter 3, is the promise of restoration. He says uh, in, um, what was it, in chapter 2, verse... Uh, verse 15? No, not 2.15. Where was the... Um, I'll click back a little bit here, sorry. Well, 2.5 is what I'm saying. I don't think it's 2.5. So I've completely lost... Uh, Ah, 225 is what it should be. In 225, that's where he repeats uh, that, that, uh, that list of the locusts. In 225, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the, craw- the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. He says, I'm going to restore what, is, what has been ruined. I'm going to restore to you the damage, uh, that which has been damaged. He tells them there is going to be a harvest. There is going to be oil. There is going to be wine. There is going to be a restoration of that which was lost. And thank God that in Christ, what was lost in the image of God in us is restored in Him. And that restoration comes most supremely in the indwelling of God's Spirit, which we read this morning as David led us in the scripture reading from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. His promise, his restoration comes most chiefly in the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. As he says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Which the disciples in Acts chapter 2 recognize as being a prophecy, uh, ultimately, of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit came upon those faithful believers who were gathered in the upper room. God's judgment 
is not arbitrary. His judgment is to judge sin and unfaithfulness. His call, though, is for us to have full and genuine repentance. And his promise is that he will restore us and he will restore us most especially by dwelling within us. By coming, living among us and dwelling in our hearts by faith. The prophecy of Joel several times repeats a phrase that is, um, is really kind of a, a theme of the prophets, but of Joel especially here. He speaks of the day of the Lord. And he speaks of that day of the Lord as being something that is judgment. But he speaks of that day of the Lord as being something that ought to call us to repentance and ought to remind us of God's promised faithfulness to us. The day of the Lord in the prophets, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament prophecies, spoke of a number of things. It was an image used for the, uh, the judgment of God uh, through the Babylonians and the, Assyri- the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, his judgment upon Israel and Judah. The day of the Lord was the promise that God would come and walk among them in the Messiah, the incarnation of Jesus. The day of the Lord looked forward to the judgment of God and the restoration that God offered in his son Jesus through the cross and empty tomb. In the day of the Lord, as recognized by the disciples in the book of Acts, spoke also of his coming to dwell within us by faith at Pentecost. That day of the Lord, as we prepare ourselves this season of Lent for, um, for Good Friday and then Easter Sunday morning, that day of the Lord is God's judgment. Because in his son Jesus upon the cross, God judged sin. Paul says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Not in a literal personification of sin in Christ, but in a sacrificial way, Christ bore the sins of the world. He became an offering of sin in our behalf. And the cross is the judgment of God. Upon all human sin. But in the cross we find the call to repentance. The call to new life. The call to genuine and heartfelt mourning. And regret. In return. And it is the cross of Christ. That opens the door for the Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. If the cross of Christ is just about judgment, if the cross of Christ is just to make us feel bad about how we are so we'll turn to Him and repent, then it falls short of what the Scriptures say the cross was about. The cross of Christ was about God getting into our hearts, living in us, dwelling in us by faith. So that day of the Lord, the day that we prepare for in this season of Lent, it is a day of judgment. It is a day in which we are called to repentance. And it is a day where we are promised the fullness of God's Spirit to live in our hearts by faith.
as we look to um, the season of Lent, which begins this coming Wednesday, there are a few things that uh, I want you to consider committing to. And you commit to what, what you're able to commit to, what you think that you can, you can uh, actually stick with. Um, if, if you can do all three of these, that'd be wonderful. If there are only a couple of them you can do, only one of them that you can do, please do what you are able. Um, but I wonder if, uh, if, if you'd be able to join us for our service of worship this coming Ash Wednesday. This, this coming Wednesday, our service will be at 6 o'clock. If, um, if you don't have a scheduling conflict with that, please uh, prioritize being here as we uh, spend some time reflecting upon uh, the scriptures and singing some, um, some songs together. Uh, in worship to God as we begin this time of Lent together. I wonder if you'd consider uh, intending to be at that service. Another thing is we have a, uh, prepared a, a list of scripture readings for you um, right here. If, uh, if you'd like to read some passages of scripture each and every day of Lent in preparation uh, for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, then please grab one of these. Grab one of these lists at the close of the service. If you fall behind, you can always get called back up. None of the days are too big. Uh, passages of scripture to read, except for just a few. So go ahead and look, look ahead and make sure. All right, I don't want to miss that day because that'll be a lot to get caught up on. But basically, this will walk you through the gospel according to John in forty days. Uh, no breaks on Sundays, guys. You ought to be reading the scriptures every day, even even on Sundays, even though you gather here for worship to read the scriptures together. Um, and so in 40 days plus, I think four, because there are four Sundays, um, in 44 days you'll read through the Gospel of John, and it'll, it'll help you. Reading a book through like that will help you to um, understand the movement of the book. It'll help you understand what all is going on, and you'll start putting some things together. You'll start recognizing themes like, wait a minute, he's mentioned that before. He's, he's alluded to that sort of thing. And so this is something I really want to encourage you to, uh, to get a hand on. Um, this will also be available on the uh, website if somehow you forget to, uh, to, uh, to grab one this morning. But this one's printed out on nice cardstock, and so it'll, it'll make it through those 40 days uh, without uh, falling to pieces. The other thing is, I wonder if you'd be willing to consider giving something up for Lent, fasting from something. Like I said, Sundays are your off days. But I wonder if, if you would uh, think about what it is that you might be willing to give up. Something that will um, take a little bit of sacrifice, take a little bit of self-discipline, take a little bit of uh, denying of the flesh. You're, you're, it's interesting, the, the things that, uh, the, 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 uh, the tricks that your mind will play on you. Because your body will think, I just need that. Simple things. Uh, a few years ago, actually, just a little personal anecdote. Um, uh, a few years ago, I gave up all beverages except for water and coffee. I was teaching at the time, and I thought, there's no way in the world I will kill somebody if I don't have a little bit of coffee. If I'm just drinking water, I'll be exhausted, and I'll fly off the handle or something. But um, I gave up, and, and the weirdest thing is on Saturday nights, I would have a craving almost every Saturday night of Lent. I had the most intense craving for orange juice. 
All I wanted was to drink an enormous thing of orange juice. I didn't want sweet tea. I didn't want apple juice. I didn't want anything else. I wanted just orange juice. It was the oddest thing. And it was tough. Those Saturdays, I would think, oh, it's just a few more hours. It's just a few more hours. And I would think, do I stay up till midnight so that I can drink some orange juice? Or like, It was weird. Over orange juice, you know, it's weird. But our bodies do that. And if we don't keep our bodies in check, and the moment we try to keep our bodies in check, you'll find that body will scream for what it wants. And uh, fasting from something is just a good, it's a good uh, source of self, uh, self-discipline. So pick something that'll, that you know will cost you a little bit, but, um, but something that, that you can do uh, to be sure. I don't want to set you guys up for failure. Don't say, I'm not eating it all during Lent. Yeah, right. You'll, uh, you'll cave. So consider how uh, how you you uh, you would respond to these things that perhaps you might consider uh, marking down as as intending to do. Don't forget also your bulletin has the same uh, the same intentions down at the bottom of, of it. Hang on to your bulletin. Um, it's always a good a good habit to have. Is look through this bulletin throughout the week and remember those passages of scripture and those songs that we sing and uh, those those responses that you made. And then, of course, drop off your communication card in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary. As we, um, as we reflect upon uh, what it is that our responses might be, let's, let's bow our heads in, in prayer for a moment.